Hey, everyone. Uh, hope that you guys have a never-ending supply of duct tape and hot sauce. Anyway, uh, it's good that we're here together. We're trying a little bit of a change in the sound system here, so hopefully it's working better for you at home. I'd like to get right into it this morning. We're in Luke chapter 9, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 9. Jesus sends out the 12. Uh, we've been in the book of Luke since, uh, since December, and we've been following the life of Jesus. We saw the events leading up to his birth, all the events surrounding his birth, and then we saw him in his, with the baptism, the time of testing in the desert. And then we heard him come out uh, on the first day of his mission when he read from the scroll of Isaiah. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and to release the oppressed. There's this imagery that Jesus is here to, um, to give freedom to, uh, to those held captive. He wants to set them free. To those who are blind, he wants to, them to see. To those who are enslaved, he wants to set them free. And we see that playing out as Jesus interacts with all these people in his story, we see that happening. We see people being set free. And we've, we've read about a lot of interesting people. I know many of you have related with a lot of the characters and a lot of the stories as we've gone through this. And I wondered, who do you think Luke's, Luke wants us to identify with the most in this story? What character or characters do you think that the author intends for us to identify with the most? Is it Jesus? I think there's a little bit of that there where, where he wants us to really relate to Christ, to view Christ as the hero of the story, and that is what he truly is. He is the hero of the story, but he's still unique. He's still different. I don't, I don't know if we're meant to identify with him the most yet, but what about the leaders, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? No, I think they're antagonistic to Jesus's mission. They're... they're they're opposing the hero, right? So every time I read a story where it's the Pharisees or the teachers of the law, I boo a little bit. Then there's the group that Jesus has reached, the people that he's healed, the paralytic lowered through the roof, or his friends who lowered him in the roof, or, or maybe it's the widow of Nain or Jairus, the synagogue leader. Well, I don't know. But then there's another group of people that I think Jesus wants us to really identify with the most, and that's the disciples. Everyone say hi, Caleb. He wants us to relate to the disciples the most, and I'll tell you why. I think Luke wants us to put ourselves in their place, because as the reader, we are given this, the inside privilege insight to the things that the disciples were privy to, Right? We were in the boat with Peter and James and John the day that Jesus called them to follow him, to leave everything behind and follow him. We were there. We were witnesses of Peter's reaction in the boat. And then we've been able to know the thoughts and feelings of the characters that only insiders would know about. The teachers of the law whispering things about Jesus. We can overhear them, right? And recently we've been, we've been able to hear explanations of of the parables that Jesus only explained to his disciples. 
So we're inside with the 12. Most recently, we were eyewitnesses of Jesus calming the wind and the waves. We were there for the deliverance and the transformation of the man who had the legion of demons. We were there in the midst of the crowd when the woman with the issue of blood came up behind Jesus and touched his cloak. And then we went in the house with Jesus and Jairus and his wife, and we saw Jesus raise their daughter from the dead. So we're inside, and I think Luke really wants us to identify with the 12. And as witnesses of all these things, as insiders of all these things, we've been able to see and relate to how Jesus lives. Jesus was modeling his, his way to the disciples, his, his timing, his pace of life, his pattern of life, his practice in life. He has a certain way about him, doesn't he? And as witnesses of these miracles, we are invited to this deep trust relationship with him. He invites his disciples into a life of faith, putting their trust and full reliance upon him to come and follow him. And the longer they go along with Jesus, the more things intensify. All right, so I really think that Luke wants us, us the reader, to identify with the 12. He wants us to view ourselves as one of them. And and in their journey with Jesus so far, the trust is established. And if, and if what we've read so far serves as establishing trust and faith in their lives, the story that we're going to cover this week is the beginning stages of what life from now on looks like for disciples. Okay? So let's pray together real quick. Lord Jesus, I pray that you open up our mind and our eyes to see what you have for us. Lord Teach us through your word. Help us by your spirit to understand what you are calling us to this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's read through Luke 9, 1 through 9. Here we go. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to, keep, and to heal the sick. And he told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So... They set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Others said that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear about? And he tried to see him. So up until now, we've been following Jesus' mission. This week, we see a transference. We see Jesus empower his disciples to now join him in his mission. Christ's mission is now shared with his disciples. In verse 1 of 9, he says, Jesus called the 12 to himself 
And then he, get, he gave them authority and power to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. So now the 12 are a direct extension of, of the person of Jesus. This is a great honor. And they were to go out and to drive out demons and cure diseases and proclaim the good news just like Jesus had been doing and modeling for them. So in verse 2 he says, And he sent them out to preach the kingdom and heal the sick. They sent them out to preach and to heal. They were not to preach the kingdom of Israel but rather they were there to preach the kingdom of God because Jesus was there to start something new, start something different. And this is an early sampling of what the church would end up becoming, okay? The old way was that people would come from all nations to gather to Jerusalem to hear the word of God, but now the word of God was going out to all the nations. Instead of everything coming to one central location... And the ministry coming through only the priest, the ministry and the message was now going forth through many, in many different directions. And the kingdom of God was not like any earthly kingdom. It was, it's borderless, it's timeless, it's for all people, all times, and all places. And his instruction for the disciples is in verse 3 through 5. Let's go there. He said, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. And if people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. The mission that they were on was to live a simple lifestyle. They were to commit to total dependence on God. He wanted them to rely on the Lord. He says to them, take nothing for this journey that you are on. Take no staff. The staff is a symbol of, of protection. Now instead of them protecting themselves, they say, your rod and your staff comfort me. Take no bag. This bag that he's talking about was a purse used by peddlers in, in that day. In other words, Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, you're not a salesman here. You're not selling anything. I don't want people to think that you're doing this for money. We are not taking money. We are giving good news. He also says, take no bread, no money, and no extra tunic. In other words, he wants them totally committed to depending on God for everything that they need. And to put themselves in relationship with the people that they're trying to reach. They'll have to eat, and so they'll have to and they'll have to find a place to stay, to stay warm. So they'll have to make friends. They'll have to rely on the generosity of others. They are to go out and look for reciprocal relationships. They're looking for peace. And he says, stay, stay where you're welcome. Be faithful to those who welcome you. Show genuine concern for them. Take it as a sign that this is where you're supposed to be. 
Stay. Be genuine. Don't look past the people you're with to find somebody better. Stay with who you have in front of you. And in verse 5, it says, if people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. Don't start an argument. Just shake off the dust. This is a symbolic gesture used back then of impending judgment if they don't change their disposition to the message that they're delivering. They're basically saying, I would not want to be here when judgment comes. And it's just symbolic of that message. And Jesus is saying, just let them go. You just, you just leave in peace. Don't start an argument. And so, verse 6 says, they went out and they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. It's not complicated. They just started walking. The strategy was to just spread out, not double up over someone else's territory. And they preached the gospel. They proclaimed good news. And each disciple had a story to say. Each disciple had had an experience with this life of faith. They found their own unique people to work with. And Jesus wasn't just doing it all anymore. Now it was multiplied. And what do you think they said to people as they went from town to town and village to village? What do you think they talked about? They talked about Jesus. They talked about what they had witnessed him doing. They say, I saw Jesus do many miraculous things. Let me tell you about him. He's had, there's healings, deliverance from bondages. And then I've, I've heard Jesus say many incredible things. The words that he speaks are life, right? The words that Jesus says is good news. That's what they were talking about. They were talking about Jesus with people. And they healed people everywhere. Healings were signs that gave their gospel message credibility. Their, their acts of healing and, and power were, were giving their message power and authority. And their simple life of faith gave witness to the authenticity of what they were proclaiming. The works they did helped people listen to their words. And so this is the early image of what Christ came to do with the church. This is the way. Living simply, not doing it for gain, taking it as a sign that from God that whoever welcomes them is, is where they're supposed to be. And they're to bring healing to the community that they are in. And all of this stuff, their lifestyle, their works, it gives weight to their words. It gives their words authority. It gives it power. This is the church. And the work of the mission is for all the disciples, all 12. The result of the mission is Christ is exalted. Word about this activity spreads and it even reaches Herod's ears. Verse 7. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was going on and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. And others, that Elijah had appeared. 
and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. Again, the question comes up in the book. Who is this Jesus? Who is this, really? It's not John the Baptist, is it? He's dead, but the hearts of people are turning. Is it Elijah? Because incredible things are happening across the land. And, and, and he says, he tried to see him. Herod tried to see Jesus. The combination of the message going out through the disciples and the works that they performed helps to raise the question of who Jesus really is. The works and the message raise the question, who then is this? Jesus. And the desire is that people would come and see it for themselves. Okay, so when we started out this morning, I said I think that Luke wants us readers to view ourselves as one of these 12 disciples, to identify with them because of the information that we are given and the invitation to the insider's perspective on all of this. He wants us to view ourselves as one of the 12. And then we read this story, and I don't want you to worry because I don't think we're supposed to go set out on a journey today, leave everything behind us. I don't think that that's what it's trying to tell us to do. This is not a formula for us to follow, but it does give us some principles to follow. And those are the things I want to talk about now, right? One of the principles is simplicity in the mission. No gimmicks, no frills. It's just simple. Go share the word and let your works back up what you say. There is a commitment to reliance on God, a life of faith is being led by the Spirit, and it's also being obedient to Christ. Jesus called them, he empowered them, and he set, sent them out, and they went, and they did it, and the result speaks for itself. I also see a principle of humility here. You know that these disciples, they needed to rely on the people they were trying to reach for their needs. So it's important for us as the church to not view ourselves as the only ones with something to offer. The disciples had a humility and reliance on the people they were reaching out to. And, and, it, and it brought a, uh, an openness to the word. Okay? I also see this principle of, of the church, of the disciples, bringing healing and deliverance in some form to the community that they are in. And then also, that those are the works, but then the message that we actually talk about Jesus. We actually talk about his work. We actually talk about his love, his words, right? I see a principle of being content with where we are, to be faithful to those who welcome us, to not worry about those who do not welcome us, right? I see a principle of peace here. We offer good news to everyone, but it's not going to be received by everyone, and that's okay. 
we will pray for them. You see, making disciples is a word of mouth thing. It's a life on life thing. We cannot mass produce it. We wouldn't be doing right if we tried to mass produce it. God is relational and he wants us to follow his model. This is his pattern. This is his way. These are his values. These are his practices. And really, the goal would be that people would end up wanting to see for themselves who Jesus is because they see our works and our words. So to wrap it up here, not only do I think Luke wants us to view ourselves as one of the 12, but I really do think that Jesus himself would also want us to view ourselves as as one of the 12, as one of the disciples, to see ourselves as he sees us, as being called, as being empowered, and to be sent. And that is exactly who we are. That is the church. We are the called. We are empowered by Christ, and we are sent by Christ. How that looks will actually vary from individual to individual, but everyone is a part of Christ's overall mission. Let's pray. It's our prayer, Lord, to make you known. We want to make you known. Thank you for causing our relationship with you to grow as we set out on our journey. Help us to see the people you want us to reach. Help us to greet them with peace. Help them be ready to hear the good news. And thank you for giving everything we need to accomplish the mission. Now give us courage to go perform it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, perhaps you're asking yourself, Is this really for me? Who am I? What can I do? And I want you to think this week, what is your mission? What is your part in this mission? Everyone plays a part. And I think that as we ask that question, we will find the answer. Don't you think that the Lord wants you to discover your mission? I think he does. And I take great comfort in knowing that The Lord promises to be with us as we go on our mission. He'll help you figure it out. You want to really live life abundantly? Live a life on mission. Live a life of faith. At the end of his earthly ministry, before his ascension, he told his disciples, and we were there for this too, he says, now go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So let's go. Let's go be the church. Ready, set, break.